you're in person, good to see you. If you're joining us online, uh, really glad you've chosen to join us on this fourth week of Advent. When we uh, kicked off this series three weeks ago, we looked at the story of Mary and Joseph. Uh, We saw how in the midst of their difficult circumstances, they had peace and contentment. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the difficulties we go through don't lead to peace and contentment. They lead to darkness. Uh, Some of you will know the name Louis Giglio. Uh, Louis is a well-known pastor, speaker, author. He is also the CEO of Six Step Records. Uh, Six Step has put out a number of worship albums by artists like Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, David Crowder, as well as many others. Uh, He also is the pastor of Passion City Church. Well, Louis shares in his book, The Comeback, that in 2008, he lost his mom to a debilitating illness. As he's mourning her loss, his wife develops her own uh, health struggles. On on top of that, he's continuing to try to lead Six Step Records. He's trying to lead the Passion Conferences, this big annual conference that they put on for college students each year. And they're launching Passion City Church. And then you throw into the mix the economic downturn of 2008. And Louis was undergoing a lot. That's why one night at 2 a.m., he suddenly wakes up and he can't breathe. He has this sensation that he's falling down a deep, dark tunnel. And he thinks to himself, this is what it feels like to die. Well, he didn't die. Somehow wakes his wife, they rush to the ER. And there they discover that nothing's wrong. It was a panic attack. He he was physically fine. However, that began a long, dark journey into a deep depression. So bad that almost every single week, physical symptoms would come out. They would end up at a doctor and he'd be told the same thing. Nothing's wrong with you. He ended up seeing 15 doctors. And every single one said the exact same thing. It led Louis to feel like he was an absolute failure. He thought he was never, ever going to get to lead again, was never going to get to preach again. He really thought that he was about to become the most disrespected person in all of Christendom. And he thought that life as he knew it was completely over. You ever been there? You ever hit a place in life where you think, that's it, I'm done. Where you've just lost hope. If you have never been there, speaking from personal experience, I hope you never get there. It's no fun. It's embarrassing. It's debilitating. Like all you want to do is bury yourself in drink or bury yourself in food or bury yourself in entertainment or just bury yourself in your covers. And you don't want to talk to anyone because you're so embarrassed that this is going on deep inside. And in your loneliness, you feel like all hope is gone. And, and if you're a Jesus follower, it, it almost feels worse. Because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you believe in a sovereign God. And you, you would say that that sovereign God is good and is in control. And therefore, his light of goodness and love and grace is shining everywhere. Except in your heart. And you don't want other people to know that. 
I mean, we're Christians. We're supposed to show up here and have everything all together. And so we keep quiet, we stay hidden, and we stay buried in our covers. What do you do when you find yourself in that dark night of the soul? What do you do when you feel like you're stuck in Narnia, where it's always winter and never Christmas? What do you do when God has gone silent and hope is gone? Today, as we go back into the Christmas narrative, we're going to meet a man named Simeon. We're going to see a guy who, I don't know if he was going through a depression. I don't know if he was having panic attacks like Louis. But as I look at his story, I see the potential for it. And as we look at his life, we're going to see what he does in what could have been a very difficult time in life. And my hope and prayer is that it will help you, not only during this Advent season, but on into 2022, to give you the hope to keep going no matter how dark the days might get. So as we get ready to turn to Luke 2, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, before we open your holy, timeless scriptures, we ask that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would open up and crack through the walls that we have built around ourselves to give off a projection that everything is great when inwardly we feel that everything is caving in. Father, for those that are doing fantastic right now, I pray that they would be praising you for that but that the words that we're about to hear from, from the scriptures and, and from your Holy Spirit, you would help them to remember those words when they hit those dark days. But God, for those who are listening to this right now who find themselves in really difficult times, they feel like they are stuck in winter and it's never Christmas. I pray that these words today would bring encouragement, that you would use them to give hope that a little bit of light would crack into the darkness and they would realize they are not alone, they are loved, and you will come through. And that today's message might be exactly what they need to persevere so that they can come to those days where they once again sense your grace, they sense your goodness, they sense your presence, and they are able to praise you. So God, please do what you need to today for our joy as well as your glory. We ask for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 2. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen for you so you can read along. I just strongly encourage you, if you're here in person, please stop by our resource table. We have paper copies of the Bible. Uh, or if you're joining us online, feel free to download a Bible to your phone and then uh, use that uh, this morning and any other Sunday you, you're able to join us. Uh, what we're going to do today is uh, I'm going to read a, a section, we'll stop, we'll talk about it, then we'll read another little section, we'll stop, we'll talk about it. And so we're just going to slowly work our way through. We're going to start at verse 22. So join me, Luke 2, start at verse 22, and right now I'll read uh, aloud 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, being Mary and Joseph, brought him, which is baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, I realize that we are still six days away from Christmas, but today's story is taking place eight days after the birth of Jesus. According to Jewish law, when a male was born, on the eighth day, you were to present him at the synagogue or the temple, 
where he would be circumcised, he would be uh, named officially, and then if it's your firstborn, he's dedicated to God. There, according to the Mosaic Law, there are also purification uh, worship rituals that the, the birthing mom would go through to, in a sense, make her ceremonially clean once again after giving birth. So being good Jews, Mary and Joseph load up, they leave Bethlehem for the day, they make the trek six, seven miles north, they come into Jerusalem to do all of this worship. And while they're there in the temple, they meet a man named Simeon, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is the only place in the scripture where we meet this man, Simeon. So this is all we know about him. He's from Jerusalem, but more importantly, we know that he is righteous and devout. He, he in fact, I would say you could put him in the category of a prophet, uh, a little later in Matthew, I mean, sorry, in Luke 2, uh, we're not going to get there today, but you see him give a prophetic word to Mary and Joseph. But even right here in these two verses that we have looked at, you see he has a sense of God talking to him, speaking to him. And one of the things that's been revealed to him is that he will get to meet the Messiah before he dies. Now, we don't know when God revealed this to him. I, it could have been a couple of days, a couple of weeks before, maybe, uh, you know, a couple of months. I mean, it could have been just a couple of seconds before this moment. However, I strongly suspect that he was told this a couple decades before. Now, I'm just going to be honest. That is not in the text. I am making a huge, uh, like, theory. I'm postulating. However, I feel very safe and comfortable doing so. Why? Because this is the pattern with which God seems to work in humans. Now, don't get me wrong. Just as every human has a different fingerprint, God's work in everyone's life is unique. But you notice on fingerprints there are still patterns. God works in these patterns in people's lives. And part of his pattern of developing people to making them righteous and devout is he takes them through seasons of waiting. For example, back in the book of Genesis, look at the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were unable to have children. They'd been waiting a long time. No kids come. And then suddenly God says to Abraham, when Abraham is 75 years old and Sarah is 66, you're going to have a son. They wait 24 years. Abraham is 99, Sarah 90. And finally, Isaac comes along. God made them wait. Or how about you look at Moses? Moses, considered one of the greatest prophets in all of Judaism. His exciting life consists of fleeing, murdering a soldier into the wilderness where he spends 40 years taking care of sheep. Then he gets called back by God through a burning bush to go to Egypt, free the people from slavery, only to lead them out into the wilderness for 40 years. Right, so 40 years leading sheep, 40 years leading people out in the wilderness. This dude had a boring existence. And yet it is through the waiting, through the difficulties, God matures him and makes him one of the greatest prophets the Jews have in their history. Or how about Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph? 
In chapter 37, we see this young man, 17 years old, have a dream that his family is going to bow down to him. And in his cockiness, he tells his family. Turns out his brothers kind of didn't like that idea. So they sell him off into slavery. He eventually ends up in prison, but then he ends up being second in command in Egypt. And 20 years after the dream, his brothers come walking in in the middle of a drought, and they bow down before him asking for food, not knowing it's their brother. I could go on. We could look at Noah, we could look at Jeremiah, we could look at Peter. I mean, just about any of the epic men and women of the scriptures, when you see them as righteous and devout, these holy, godly people, often you find in their stories times of waiting, times of difficulty, times of struggle. And God uses that to mature them and mold them into the righteous people he calls them to be. That's why I feel very safe postulating The Simeon did not hear you'll meet the Messiah before you die a couple minutes before meeting baby Jesus. I think he's been waiting a couple years, a couple decades for this moment. But I don't think this is just Simeon's story or Abraham's story or Moses' story. I suspect that it's also your story. Because I, I know it's part of my story. Some of you, your story was about waiting for a spouse. Some of you, it's been waiting to have kids. Some of you, it's waiting for the right job. Some of you, it's waiting for that phone call. Like you find yourself in these seasons of waiting. And when you find yourself in the season of waiting, that's when the doubt begins to creep in. You begin to doubt yourself and you even begin to doubt God. And then you find yourself having a moment like Louis. In 2008... I had a profound moment where I sensed God calling me into church planting. I didn't like the idea, and so I fought it. And I prayed about it for two years. Finally, I got up the guts to step off staff at the church where I was at to begin fundraising, to begin this journey of planting a church. However, I was going to go to Kansas City to work with one particular church to do what they called a leadership residency, to learn about church planting. One of their pieces of advice for me was, Aaron, you need to know where you're going. But I didn't. But I reached a place where I knew I need to be obedient. So we thought, all right, we'll go ahead and go, and we'll just trust God to show us where we're going to go after we're in Kansas City. All we knew was we were supposed to be in Iowa. So almost once a month, I would make a trek north, and I would come up to, to drive around cities, to pray, to try to interview pastors, to talk to different people, to try to figure out and discern, where is God calling us? But month after month after month, every door I tried to push open just seemed to stay closed. And the people in Kansas City started to get very concerned. Eventually, I ended up sitting down with three guys who interviewed me, discussed, asked questions, trying to help me, trying to crack open some sort of door. But as I answered all of their questions, they summed it up this way. So Aaron, you're telling us that you're from Iowa, you did ministry in Iowa for nine years, and yet nothing is opening up for you. Something doesn't make sense. Either you're called to church planning, but not to Iowa, or you're not called to church planting at all. That led to some very dark days. I lost all appetite. I couldn't sleep. I was being constantly barraged with questions. 
Aaron, did you really hear from God? Aaron, do you even know what you're doing? Aaron, did you just ruin the life of your wife and your kids? Aaron, did you just make yourself a huge embarrassment? In those moments, you find yourself doubting. Doubting yourself. Doubting God. You doubt his goodness. You doubt his presence. You doubt his wisdom. You, you even begin to doubt his existence. And that's when you find yourself in those dark days. The, the, those winters that never end. Place where you feel like there's no light and no hope. What do you do when you find yourself there? I think Simeon shows us two simple and yet incredibly difficult things that we can do. So, verse 27. The first phrase we see there is that he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. He came in the spirit. That tells me that in the midst of his waiting... He has kept worshiping. He's kept praying. He's kept studying the scriptures. He's kept going to the temple. He's kept singing. Like He's done what he can. And I'm telling you, it is hard to worship in the waiting. Louis shares in his book, The Comeback, that he he felt like God was so disconnected from him that when he'd pray, it was just stuck at the ceiling. Like, he'd opened up the scriptures, and he may as well have been reading, you know, a foreign language. Like, God felt so distant, so disconnected, he, he really began to think, maybe there is no God. And so one night, in absolute desperation, he whispers a prayer. God, give me a song. Now, you see, there's a reason that Louis, the CEO of Six Step Records, Worship music is one of the ways that he is connected deeply with God. He, he would not consider himself a musician, and yet he's co-written several songs with some of the worship artists because he just loves connecting to God through music. And so when he can't connect to God through prayer, can't connect through the scriptures, he, he can't connect to God through, through church, he desperately says, God, would you at least let me connect with you through a song? A couple days later, simple little melody starts coming into his head. And pretty soon there are these words that start to to fit with it. And as he tries to put it all together and and he starts singing it, all of a sudden he realizes, wait a second, I don't believe any of this. Like the words that were coming to mind were about God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's presence. And his mind actually starts to mock the words. But because he'd asked God for a song, his heart just kept singing And day after day after day, he just kept singing this simple little refrain over and over and over. And after several days, suddenly it wasn't just his heart singing. His mind began to sing too. And he suddenly realized he was no longer mocking the words. He finally again believed the words. And with that, the darkness cracked and some light shone through. Suddenly he found himself back into love with God, back into leading, back to planning his church. And that's why he calls his book, the comeback. If you find yourself in that season of waiting, it is so difficult to worship. But do what you need to do. Like if, if you find yourself not able to pray, turn to the scriptures. 
I have a friend who it was so difficult to read the scriptures. He was going through such a difficult time. He had to listen to the scriptures read to him. Other people, they've listened to like scripture put to music. They, they, they have to use worship music like Leo. I mean, sorry, Leo is one of my really good friends. Like Louie. Or for some people, it's being out in nature, going on a walk, being reminded of all God created. Some people, it's sitting down with someone, a counselor who will listen and help and, and advise. Do what you can to keep worshiping because it's going to be worship that's going to help you reconnect with God. But Simeon does another thing. He doesn't just keep worshiping. The next thing we see is that he also just keeps moving. The next very phrase there in verse 27 says that, and he came in the spirit into the temple. I'm telling you, when you are in some dark days, it is hard to go to go out, to be among people. Uh, if you're in a blizzard, let me put it this way. If I were in a blizzard, the place I would want to be is inside. Like my, my ideal place would be a cabin in the woods or maybe up in the mountains, like a roaring fire going in the fireplace, a mug of hot tea in my hand, maybe a book in my lap or a puzzle on the table. Like that would be where I would want to be in a blizzard. I would not want to be outside in the negative temperatures, 40 mile an hour winds, snow pelting my face, getting me cold and wet. No, thank you. I would rather stay inside. When you're going through difficulties, when you're going through depression, sometimes that's where you just want to stay, inside. You want to stay just inside your own heart, inside your own mind, inside your own bedroom, and you don't want to face anyone. Because when you go out there to talk to them, they're going to ask you questions. And if you're like me, you hate to lie. But the lie is safer than the truth. And so you tell everyone, I'm doing fine. So your face shows it's summer, but your heart knows it's winter. After God showed us that we were to come to Waverly, light cracked through the darkness, joy was back again, the excitement of coming and finding a place. I I won't go through all the struggle it took to find a place in Waverly, but but God provided we get here, we get established, we start meeting people, and finally we realize we've got to start this thing in a, in a public way. So we started some public worship gatherings, and, and some people decided they wanted to be a part of it, and we get going. And then that first year, two other churches decided to also start. After 14 years of, of no new churches in Waverly, that was part of why we chose it, two other churches start at the exact same time as Riverwood. And some of the people who were helping us had friends at those other places, and so they left to go help them. Some other people, they decided that they didn't like my preaching, so they left. Other people, there's no one else here our age, so they left. And then I would start talking to people, like other pastors, and they'd say, oh, Aaron, you're what, a year old. What are you running now, like 100, 150? And I'm thinking, no, I would just like to hit 30. And then you have other people saying, Aaron, it's too small. You've got to shut this down. It's not working. You've got to quit. You've got to do this differently. Suddenly, all the dark days of Kansas City decided to find me in Waverly. I'd find myself going to the W to do my swim workout. People would see me in the locker room. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, good. Things are going great. And then I proceed to get in the pool and cry as I'm swimming laps because I can't see the tears on your face when your face is already wet. No one knew, except my wife. A little hard to keep these things from your best friend. She's encouraging me to talk to someone. So finally, I talked to my church planner, my church planning coach, Steve. When I first met Steve, he said, Aaron, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm not a big mercy guy. 
That's, that's not one of my spiritual gifts. I, I'm, I tend to just like get after it. Some of you have met Steve. He's been here to preach a couple of times. And, and so, you know, he's like, Aaron, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you, you know, buck up. Let's get after it. The kingdom of, of, of uh, is at, you know, stake, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let's go. That's Steve. And yet in my hurting moment, I shared with him honestly. And rather than just tell me, Aaron, just buck up. Come on, get over it. Instead, he says, Aaron, grab your Bible. We open it up to the Psalms. And we just start reading through. And suddenly, as he's helping me to worship, he was encouraging me and made me realize I need to keep going. And we did. Now, please don't mishear me. I am not saying you can never quit. I clearly had to quit a job at Cedar Rapids in order to be obedient and, and plant a church. You might find yourself with some toxic habits that you need to quit in order for God to establish some new habits in your life. Or maybe you have some toxic relationships that are actually pulling you away from your Heavenly Father, and you need to quit those so that you can get to the place where God is your all in all. So, so don't hear me that I'm saying you can never quit. But I bring this up because I see in me and in people just in general a proclivity to quit as soon as it gets hard. It's embarrassing how easy it is to make us give up. The relationship gets rocky, we run. The, 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 the job is hard, we quit. We don't like what's going on at our church, we'll just find another one. We don't stay and persevere, stay steadfast and work through it. And when we quit, we miss out. See, James 1 tells us to count it joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Not because the trial is fun, but because of the joy that awaits on the other side. And that's what we see in Simeon's story. Notice in verse 28, he's come in the spirit into the temple. He sees this young couple, and it says in verse 28 that he, Simeon, took him, baby Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. See, the people who most appreciate the spring are those who have gone through the harshest winter. Simeon has been waiting years for God fulfill his word. And now suddenly it's here. In the midst of his waiting, he's kept worshiping. He's kept moving. And now when he gets to hold the Messiah in his arms, I, I, I wonder what that moment was like. I, I can't help but think like a, a grin just burst across his face and yet tears probably started pouring down from his eyes. Like he probably wanted to just laugh. And, and yet the laugh probably got choked out by a cry of gratitude. When you have gone through hell, heaven is so much sweeter. That is why James says, when you are going through those trials, count it joy. Because on the other side is something beautiful and glorious. But if you quit worshiping, if you quit moving, if you quit chasing after God, you're going to miss out. Simeon kept at it. And that gave him all the joy. 
Because in that moment, not only did he see that God had fulfilled his promise to Simeon personally, but it gave him hope that God would fulfill his promise to all of Israel. Remember, Simeon was described to us as awaiting the consolation of Israel. Israel was underneath the rule of Rome. He's waiting for Israel to be consoled, to be comforted, to find freedom. And now here is this Messiah who he thinks is going to bring that. But what Simeon may or may not have realized is that this Messiah wasn't just there to free them from Rome. This Messiah had come to free them from sin. Because Rome had only been over them for a time and it would one day end. But sin had been reigning over like a, a tyr- in tyranny since Genesis 3. And this little baby was going to grow to be a sinless man, but yet was going to go and die a sinner's death. And he did it in our place, but then rose again from the dead to show he had authority over all things so that we could come into a relationship with God and we could be consoled. That is why you have to keep worshiping. You have to keep going. Don't give up. Keep after it. If prayer's not working, try something else. Scripture's not working, head somewhere else. Do what you can to continue to seek after God. And like Simeon experienced, and like Louis experienced, and like I've experienced, I want you to have the experience of seeing the darkness crack and God's light shine through because that will be the greatest joy you have ever known. So guys, keep seeking, keep worshiping, keep moving. Keep seeking hope by seeking Jesus. So Heavenly Father, we want to close in prayer by giving ourselves to you and ask that you would give us hope. God, I pray that your hope would flood our hearts, would flood our minds, that your hope would continue to lead us on Lord, for the person who is struggling to worship, I pray that, that through this next song, through our time of communion, that you would help them to worship you. For the, the person who's just been sitting still in their heart, allowing winter to continually go on and it never is Christmas, that they would allow themselves to be reminded of who you are and what you've done, that you, Jesus, came to this earth in the form of a baby. You grew fully as a human and yet you went and died the penalty, uh, paid the penalty that humanity could never pay so that we could have the life that you always intended for us. So God, I pray right now that you'd help those of us who are in darkness to see a great light. That we would realize that you, Jesus, came to give peace. Peace on earth and peace in our hearts. Lord, I pray for the one who is here and, and is doing fantastic. They're doing wonderfully that you would use them to be the comfort, the ones who who help draw others out of their darkness, that they would be the ones to shine your light into those places. God, I pray you'd also help them to remember these words, that when their day of darkness comes, when they experience their own winter, that they would realize that they need to hang on to you, that you will see them through, you will be with them every step of the way, and you will bring them a spring, where they will see new growth, new life, they will experience the warmth of your son, and they will find contentment and joy as you make them more like Christ, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God, help us today to surrender, to surrender by by coming, to surrender by continually turning to you. In Jesus' name we pray.